welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Dyler-Coltman, joined by Tyler Walzak. Brayden is unable to be with us this week, but that is okay because it just leaves more time for Tyler and I to dig in on what was a very eventful, very exciting, and very dramatic race. Lots to talk about. We finished the French Grand Prix this weekend. I know going into it, Tyler, you had said this is one of your favorite tracks because it's, you know, it's very attractive. It's fun to look at but it also proved to be a bit treacherous. I know where we need to start because we know how it finished. Max, number one, both Hamilton and Russell bringing the Mercedes up for their best, you know, two, three finish of the season. But the story starts and ends at Ferrari. What the fuck is Ferrari doing? I don't understand. So let's set aside. Let's just set aside Charles Leclerc ruining his own race. That was a driver error. He admitted it at the end. Good on him for admitting it. Let's just put that aside. That happens. It, well, it doesn't, but I'll get into that later. Carlos Sainz. Let's talk about Carlos Sainz because Carlos Sainz has been on fire as of late. And he is 1,000 times smarter than whoever is sitting watching the television monitors in the Ferrari pit. He said, lap 36, we either pit now and get advantage or, or like our one, we, have, we have one lap we have to pit now. If we're going to make the decision, we have to do it now. 10 minutes later, I think it was lap like 42 or something. They bring him in as he is passing Sergio Perez in the apex of the corner. And there might be a little time delay between when we, what we, what we hear and what's happening on the monitors. But so he was either going in to pass him or side by side with him when they said pit pit or box, box, box. That's absurd. And and then to actually do it after he passed him doesn't make, he had a five second penalty. So even if we go back more laps where he got that five second penalty, which was when he was leaving the pits, he completely cut off the Williams car. It was super dangerous. He deserved the five second penalty. They get on the horn and they say, Hey, uh, Hey, Carlos, you got yourself a uh, five minute uh, stop and go. Carlos says immediately, it's not a stop and go. It's just a five second. They're trying to tell him what the penalty is. He already knows. He already knows what's going on. So then he goes, all right, we either pit lap 36 or we don't pit at all. And they go, okay, we'll take it into account. 10 minutes later, they're like, box, box, box. He's in a fight, in the middle of a dog fight, passes Perez. All he needs to do is get five seconds ahead of Perez, which he says, don't box now, don't box now, don't box now. We have the pace to get five seconds ahead of him. That would have been a podium finish. Number three would have saved their entire day the way that Carlos Sainz seemingly is saving their constructor's championship whenever Leclerc has these driver errors. So I, I, if I were him, I would have stayed out and be like, nah, I, you, I'm done with you guys. I'm done with whoever is making decisions at Ferrari. It is absurd. It doesn't make sense. It hasn't made sense for years. We've talked about this. And it's just another way, another example of, of Ferrari's inability to have proper strategy. And they make fun of it now. They openly go, oh, Ferrari's already on plan DEF. What happened to ABC? They're constantly making fun of them. It doesn't make sense. Carlos Sainz is out there telling them that's a bad decision. This is a bad decision. I'm not yet. You want me to get 10 car lengths from Charles Leclerc just so that he might win a race? No, I'm going to go win this race. It's absurd. It should not be happening at this level. Something has to change. Someone at Ferrari needs to be fired. All right. I don't disagree with almost anything you said. I think the only uh, addendum I would make to the entire thing is I think you're absolutely right. Carlos Sides is right. This whole situation comes down to uh, like how this team is structured, right? This is clearly a team that is relying, I would argue too heavily on their analytics and strategy, 
right? They're watching numbers. They're clearly not watching the monitors that have the actual drivers making overtakes on them. They're not identifying the, the opportunity that Carlos as a driver had, you know, there's that old sort of joke in, in motorsports about the idea that it's like, you got the cowboy in the car and you got the whole corral back home trying to figure out how they're just going to make the car better. Once the race is over, no, no you're in the race now. It doesn't yeah. matter whether or not the car does or doesn't do anything like this. Look, the Charles Leclerc thing we can talk about in a second, but for the for me, this whole race came down to Carlos Sainz, who, by the way, one driver of the day, and I think fully deserved it because Car- Carlos Sainz started this race. Thank you. From the back, yeah. right? He took <laughs> a, a, the full grid penalty for a new power unit, so we knew he was going to have a great car. Ferrari, without question, has the fastest car right now. Uh, in in Formula One, they are faster in a straight line than Red Bull. They have they should have the advantage, but they continually shoot themselves in the foot. Whether in this situation you have a driver error that costs them their lead driver who had was the lead of the race, or in this situation where you're mismanaging, who I agree with you has been their better driver. I would also like to point out I think I think Carlos Sainz deserves more credit from Red Bull from Ferrari, pardon me, than he is getting. I think that they are still treating Charles Leclerc like the genuine, straight-up number one guy. You, I'm sorry, you have a 1A and a 1B at this point. Yes. And I would make a very bold prediction here that it is completely possible Carlos Sainz finishes this season with more points than Charles Leclerc if he play if he continues to drive like this. He has a like terrible start to the year. He had a terrible start to the year. He's figured this car out now. He is getting unbelievable pace out of it. He's driving it better, more aggressively, more consistently than Charles. Charles literally can't function unless he's in the lead. And even when he's in the lead, he's making mistakes. Yes. Now, quickly on that one, do you think this was actually as simple as they're spinning it concerning a driver error? Or is there more to this? Was there still a, la- a lingering throttle pedal issue? Like there's been rumors about, there's a lot of body language experts talking about how Charles Leclerc isn't quite as angry as he has been in the past when he's made mistakes. Perhaps there, there's a bit behind the scenes they don't want to kind of give away the, the trade craft. Maybe there's a slight flaw in the car. Where, where do you come down on all that kind of conspiracy stuff? So, and remind me to go back to the signs, um, yeah. Pit thing at the end. I just have one more thing to say about that. But with Charles Leclerc, it, I think, I think you kind of hit it on the head. I don't know if it's, I just don't think he trusts Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't fully trust what they're doing because they make decisions that are clearly not the right decisions. And then they wave a finger in his face. So, how are you supposed to trust the guy that's in charge of making all these decisions when they're like visibly making the wrong ones and then trying to tell you to calm down? because you're in the wrong that to me is in any sport that in any walk of life at any job that happens where you see someone making bad decisions and you go how am i supposed to continue to trust this team how am i supposed to continue to trust trust this workplace and i think that's kind of starting to get to Leclerc because that was let's just say it, it was an embarrassing spin he oh, he was wide open he had 28 wide seconds open. of a lead Verstappen just pitted two laps earlier and yeah, all he we'll had to do, like, he, he just had to keep, he just had to keep driving because clearly Verstappen went in and it was a decision that was made to do a two-step, a two-stop race. And so, an yeah. and, and an undercut. So, but Leclerc and Ferrari, they did not, um, they did not react to that. So they were on a one-stop plan. Well, it that's was what I was going to say. Evident. A lot of people were, it, it, it really felt like going into Sunday, that seemed to be the predominant strategy was that mm-hmm. people were planning to do a two-stop race. And then they realized really quickly, the tires weren't 
sort of degrading as fast as they so thought. hot. And very quickly they went, oh, these tires actually can push it. And it became a one, a one-stop race. And I actually think Red Bull may have misplayed that, but they got handed such a beautiful gift and how it turned out. Like again, yeah. even when Red Bull makes mistakes, Ferrari makes bigger ones. Red Bull, like because of Ferrari's mistakes, it doesn't even look like Red Bull's making those mistakes. And Red Bull actually doesn't make a lot of this. Um, like they're very, very, very good and consistent at their strategic decisions. Ferrari is the exact opposite. Mercedes yeah. is also very good, but you do have a very um, veteran driver in Lewis Hamilton that will call them out on different things based on what he wants to do. And now Carlos Sainz is calling them out and he's right every single time. He's always been right in the last three or four races. And so to go now that I just brought Sainz back into this and, and their strategy was they were worried their whole thing, even at, in the race and after the race was they were worried that his tires weren't going to make it. There was three other drivers that pitted at the exact same time with the same strategy as he did. And they all made no it problem. without losing any positions. Yeah. Gasly was one of them. And yeah. th they said it in the race. They said, well, if you want to know if signs could stay third and get five seconds behind Perez, let's just watch Gasly because yeah. he's on the exact same strategy. So let's just see what happens here. Made it to the end of the race. It was a yeah. huge, his is a huge flaw. Well, and in he a was massive on fire. Problem. Those tires were, were way more uh, had way more pace than any of the other front runners he would have yeah. even if he'd pushed them right to the limit he probably still would have been able as you say to to, to fight for a podium and he should have been and should it was been. just a complete miscalculation i think somebody again in that strategic department over there at ferrari ran the numbers they saw a number they liked they thought that that was the only information that they had look this is the challenge of modern sports in general with analytics but specifically in motorsports is that everything is done based on simulations everything is done mm -hmm. based on what a computer is spitting out for you right here's a great example of where there's flaws in that not a single driver the entire weekend through all of practices ran soft tires nobody in any one of those garages really knew what that tire would or would not do for them so they're already baked into specific determined outcomes with the information they have and that's what ends up happening here is certain teams again as you pointed out i think red bull's gotten a lot better at it Mercedes is pretty good at it now, to be fair. They are at a different level because they've been competing for championships more recently than the current guys at Ferrari have. But Ferrari seems to be always a step behind the right decision. The issue that is actually more frustrating is that signs, I think, so if we got, we right now it's Red Bull versus Ferrari. Verstappen is ahead of Leclerc and ahead of signs, but signs is now he's surpassed Perez. And I believe that that next evolution. So if you say, let's just throw it out there for stopping Leclerc, they're fighting for the constructors. I believe that now signs is a better two driver than Perez is. And it wasn't like that at the earlier season, but Perez did not have a great race and signs has passed him on what those cars are doing. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a great segue too to talk about where these guys have kind of landed in terms of how this is all playing out. Verstappen extends, I think he's got like a 61 point lead now. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, is it too early? I mean, I, Max, this is Max Verstappen's <laughs> championship to lose at this point. Like he, I, I, this race. Yeah. yeah, I'll say it right now. Max Verstappen will be the champion of the season if he doesn't end up in an accident that leaves him injured or yeah, unable and to drive. Like, that's how good he's driving. That's the car he has is that good. And the competition right now is just not good enough to compete with. Nope. There's 10 races left or something like that. 10 or 11 races left. 10, 10, 11 races left. Nope. 10 races. He should be left. winning. He should be winning. And well, yeah. And the, here's, we, I don't even think we talked about Verstappen last week on the, on the show, really, no. which is, and that is out of, you know what? It's not a disrespectful thing. It is a thing where we don't talk about Verstappen because we, everybody in the world knows how good Verstappen is, but you know, who doesn't make the mistake about spinning when you're 28 seconds ahead of everybody else? 
Verstappen does not make that mistake. Yeah. Verstappen is a, a flawless driver when it comes down to it. He is Darth Vader. He is all these guys that are just coming, winning, leaving, going to the next race, next winning, race. Yeah. leaving. So, but let's talk really quickly about the other team that we we expected a lot from. We we previewed the, uh, that we expected something good out of them because they have driven well on these kind of tracks. They had a great weekend a few weekends back at Silverstone. Mercedes, again, showing that they have definitely improved their car. They don't look at this point like they're going to get to where Red Bull and Ferrari are this season, but it does show you that they are starting to figure out the flaws that plagued them early. And I would say as a fan of Mercedes, that's a good thing because at this point in the season, they're, they're competing for the highest position they can in the constructors. Obviously they want to put their drivers in the best position too, but to be honest, they need to start to think about where they can continue to test and improve upgrades for next year, because while you've got really? Ferrari and Red Bull fighting for the top, especially with the drivers part of it, I think Mercedes now gets to continue to try to make the next step for next year. I think they've accepted their, I mean, look, I just said Max Verstappen should be winning this. It won't be Lewis Hamilton or George Russell who catches him. Now, team-wise, Mercedes has been one of the most consistent, and I think they should be competing for second place at the very least in the constructor Thank side Thank you of for it. saying that. Yep. I do believe that's possible from a team side because, again, Ferrari has been so inconsistent with both of their drivers. One doesn't score points one week. The other guy doesn't score points the next week. So Mercedes should be coming right up the middle between Red Bull and Ferrari in the yep. constructor side. But from the driver's side, you know, obviously, they're not – they're just – they don't have the pace, and they don't have the pace – right now either and that's what's frustrating however going back to what we talked about with ferrari you can see the experience of lewis hamilton and moreover i think you can you can see that there is such potential in george russell because they are smart drivers both of them they are opportunistic a lot like what we were joking i think last week about alonzo it's like these guys know how to just drive a good enough race even if they're 20 seconds off the pace to put themselves in a position to score as many points as they can for the team and then get themselves in position for points. And I also think we saw I, like the Max Verstappen, that's the easiest race win he's had all year. Yeah. Literally his competition decided that he didn't want to finish the race. He just drove, yeah. drove off the road, right? For Hamilton had already done a good enough job, an amazing start um, to get himself into that position, came right up over top of Perez at the top of the race, fought hard at the early stages to maintain that position and did a great job. The team had a good pit stop, put him in the position. And all of a sudden the guys in front of him started disappearing and he was found himself in second place. It was again, a good, good, good race from him. The fight of the whole week for the whole Sunday for me. I mean, as great as Carlos Sainz overtakes were, he had pace on every single one of those guys. George Russell and Sergio Perez gave yes. us a show. A great show. And there's, I think there's two fights on this race that, that stood out to me was for sure the George Russell one. So he, you said he's a smart driver. He's the, a director on the Grand Prix Drivers Association. So he knows the rules in and out to a T. Yeah. So he like, that's why he was complaining that whole time about the, um, the not the contact, but the the incident with Perez. Yeah, when and he that, kind of felt he had the apex place, and yeah. thought he had that position. Yeah. yeah, and I do like what Toto did. He was like, "Just get it back. You've got yeah. ten laps, Head twelve down. laps. Just get it back. You got the pace. Just get it back." But that virtual safety car, like that pass, holy shit, that was like perfect. It was yeah. to me. I was like, "Well, what happened?" Like. It, why is Perez not moving? And Russell just went boom, like picked yeah. it and went. And like, it looked it was like two things were so happening cool. there. So live, it was very confusing because as you say, it was like first Russell backed off. 
And, and it was like, whoa, why are you giving them such a gap? The reasoning, I think strategically there was they had to maintain the same delta, right? Which is all about the calculation yeah. of lap time. So he recognized if I take a little bit off here, I'm going to be able to increase my speed at the end of this lap, maintaining my delta, but I'm going to hit him at the point where he's accelerating at, at a much higher speed. And it sounded like in the post-race conversations too, that there was some miscommunication. This is a mistake from Red Bull. There was some miscommunication with Perez about where the virtual safety car would be ending. And he expected to have at least one more turn before oh, they really? were given permission to, to increase speed. Now, how much of that again is coached speak and, and them trying to sort of cover up for the fact that he may have just been had in that moment, yeah. but it definitely was the party line. I heard Christian Horner talk about, it. I heard Sergio Perez talk about it in the post, in the post race um, sort of interviews around the paddock and just sort of saying, yeah, we, we made a mistake there. It's like, yeah, you sure did because you yeah. opened the door and George <laughs> Russell open. made you cost for it. And look again for yeah. Mercedes, that's their best weekend of the year, um, which is fantastic to see again, that steady progression, but two, three on the podium for them. They did not expect that coming out of qualifying. No. Well, and all weekend they were slower than everybody else. That's it's what I mean. actually one of the things about formula one that, always like i find not weird but interesting is you can see how fast guys are in like on friday in the practices and then the last practice and then it just completely turns back to what the normal thing is in like qualifying and racing yeah. and all the time it's like oh wow these great practice times these are awesome like i didn't expect gazi to have that look how fast albon is this is awesome and then you're just like ah, yeah no it's normal so there's people are probably just or they teams are just trying things but 100 um and with like again with russell if you watch the you mentioned this, but if you watch the post um, race interview, he does a great job of breaking down the Delta and the, the reason that he was able to get past him. But yeah. so while we're on Mercedes, let's get, cause this was a big race for Lewis Hamilton. This yep. was a huge race for Lewis Hamilton, a huge race for the sport in general. This was Lewis Hamilton's 300th race. And he finished second in a car that has no business being second at this moment, which is awesome. It's not his, he's won at this track, Paul Ricard track twice before. So it's not a win. But the most interesting stat about the weekend that I wish we brought this up last week is no racer, no race car driver in Formula One has ever won a race after the 300th race. So, Jordan, I ask you, will we ever see Lewis Hamilton win another race? Yeah, I don't think it'll be this year, though. You think next year? You think he comes back next year? I think Mercedes, like I said earlier, I really do think Mercedes is starting to turn their attention towards how do we make this car competitive again next year i think they're they're not shutting it down i'm not saying they're not going to keep fighting here because they are in the constructors fight as far as getting themselves to stay up in that top two position but i do think that they are recognizing there are missed opportunities look this race was one mistake away from hamilton winning it so i from that perspective is if he's driving like this and he's putting himself in top three top four positions it only takes one mistake and you're on top of the podium right yep. had max had a had a puncture had max had another one of those red bull engine issues uh any any one problem up at the front we look how fragile it can be with a lead right it's possible i would say i wouldn't expect it uh this year i don't think they're quite there yet i actually to be honest with you would be less surprised to see george russell win a race than lewis at this point but lewis is definitely a different in a different car and in a different place than he was four races ago and that's exciting as a fan of the sport the other one i wanted to mention for you because you this is great you brought up the 300 races but by completing this race this weekend alonzo also took over the lead for most laps ever driven in formula one um, yeah taking over after raikkonen who had eight uh, 18,621 laps 
And following the French Grand Prix, Alonso now sits with 18,672, which is pretty cool. So you got Very a couple cool. of veterans and some guys out there who are, you know, they're not going to win a lot of races. Uh, I mean, certainly not Alonso is not in a position to win a lot of races still. He's not going to be competing for a driver's championship, I think, again in his career. But he's starting to stack up those like lifetime records that are pretty cool to have. Yeah. And so while we're talking about Alonzo, let's talk about Alpine because they just passed McLaren in the constructors, which just that's their, that's their fight. So that's huge. Yeah, that's and big. to, and to the way they did it, if, if no one's listened to Alonzo on the radio, when he was ahead of both the McLarens, they were both chasing him. And he says something like, let them chase me because they're only going to wear their tires out. So he says something like, let them do it, but they will die doing it. It is yeah so awesome to hear him say i'm very much becoming an alonzo fan and uh, and a con and fan as well because he he's associated with them but i've always kind of like had a soft spot for a con but um they they every week they kind of just do a little tweak of like their floor edge or a little tweak of like their rear wing and the, what they're doing to modify that car is making them faster than mclaren yep. like by contrast in the last two races it's been more radical it's been more wide-ranging upgraded packages and they're 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 scoring points yeah, There's for sure. Six, and, six and for Alonzo and eight. It's interesting when you do look down the constructors' points because there's sort of these like these these little clusters, and then there's big gaps, right? So obviously yeah. the top three teams all up there in, in uh, over 200 points. Mercedes with 270, and then in fourth with Alpine, they haven't even cracked 100 yet, right? Yeah. Like th- there's a big gap there. But then, as yeah. you say, McLaren at 89, they're right, they're nipping at their heels, and then there's a big gap because Alfa Romeo is in sixth with 51, and yeah. then there's another 20 point gap to Haas. Uh, and they've got Alpha Tori still kind of nipping at their heels and then it goes down, but, <laughs> but yeah. you get the, you get the sense that the season is now sort of settling into the battles that are going to be what we're determining, right? We are going yeah. to find out whether or not Ferrari can find some level of luck, uh, to get them back to a place of success consistently enough to catch either Verstappen or Red Bull as a team. They probably have a better chance, I think, at this point, catching Red Bull as a team uh, than they yep. do uh, on the other side of it. And, it, you know, it's so funny. I don't want to belabor the point on Ferrari, but I, I forgot to mention this. You go back, like, because Carlos Sainz, and this is good because I'm tied into something else in a second, but because Carlos Sainz was going to start at the end of the grid, in two at least, I think all three of the qualifying sessions, they sent him out ahead to allow Leclerc to have a toe. And that's great teamwork. That is something we haven't really seen Ferrari put together, right? This is the thing we started getting frustrated with a little bit last year, where you started seeing teams really be able to use it with the old cars. You could build those things. The newer cars, it hasn't been as much a factor. For Ferrari, they they probably added a good second and a half to his lap time just by doing that. Great strategy, great to see, but then they, they squander it. It's like a, a fantastic straight as an arrow drive 300 yards down the fairway and you duff your second shot. You just, yeah. you're looking at it going, guys, you did everything right to get to this point. And if Ferrari again can, can just find some consistency with that, they'll be in great shape. And I, I wanted to talk about, I had a question for you because I was watching qualifying yeah. and this made me think of it. Okay. What, what is up with teams who already know their drivers are taking grid penalties, taking the spots in later qualifying I, sessions oh my God, away don't. from guys who shouldn't be there. And I know it's a sore spot because Gasly has been on Gasly the last week a couple of times. And this week. And this, this week, yeah, point zero zero. When you look, so Magnuson was already going to start at the back. They already had it. They, they knew that was going to happen. At one point, it didn't even look like he was going to come out. And then yeah. you've got Carlos Sainz and it was already determined. It's like, why don't they, like, why don't they just get these guys out of the way? You're going to be back there. And I guess this is why, because it's teamwork, right? Sure, but you can use, this is, okay. Yeah, 
sure, let's make that argument that it's teamwork. And what Ferrari did, I'm glad you brought this up because what they did do was a great thing to watch. And it was awesome to see those two drivers kind of work together because it was huge. It was huge for those guys to pull away. The camera cut away in like the most, the best part yeah, of, of the, oh, that's what they did. Like, but, yeah. unbelievable. But yeah. uh, for them to use signs to get Leclerc there is perfect. But I don't understand as well if it's a five place drop like grid drop or a 10 yeah. place grid drop that makes sense but knowing that they have to start at the back and they take away a spot from someone that should be there i it's so frustrating if you're a fan of a middle of the pack driver because if you're if you don't care about any if you're just a verstappen fan it's not this conversation doesn't matter but if you're a fan of someone like botas or ocon or alonzo this yeah. 100% affects you every single qualifying because you're watching these guys that are taking last place grid penalties and you're like, oh, well, that spot, same with like Perez. Yeah, so what happened last week was Perez had a, uh, um, his lap time was deleted, but he was still able to move on to qualifying three, which it should have been Gasly's spot. So yes, I have a sore spot for that. <laughs> it's got me hot, but uh, it's, I, I don't know why FIA lets that happen because it would be better for everybody to watch. It would be better for all the middle pack teams and their fans to watch their guys in qualifying three, instead of watching signs in qualifying three. And at this, I bet you Red Bulls on the same, in the same conversation right now going, how is he allowed in qualifying three? If he wasn't, then they'd probably be on pole. Yeah. No, you're, I think that's, what's right. And it's frustrating to watch in the moment, but it, I mean, it all comes down to that part of it. Uh, I, it's a funny, it's just a funny, weird sort of quirk of the sport. You know what I mean? So yeah. For a sport that has a lot of quirks, that one has been the most frustrating one for me the last two weeks, last three weeks. Uh, let's talk really quickly about the, the two, uh, home countrymen we'll finish it off with obviously not okay. the race Gasly really wanted. You can talk about Gasly if you want, but I do want to also touch on Esteban Alcon who has continued to show that like he is he is driving phenomenally in a mm. really good car and Alpine is showing that they are really, they've taken a huge step forward this year. They're continuing to, to really fight for it. And it just feels like Ocon is, he's just right at that edge. We're going to go next week to the course, the circuit that he won at last year. Yep. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, were you as impressed as I was with Ocon? He overtook Ricardo near the end, which are critical points for his team. Um, you know, he's been in these sort of fights all season long mid table, but for me, he's still still starting to become one of the sort of standout from the best of the rest uh, drivers for the season. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like he just got his confidence. I feel like he's always been, especially if you watch drive to survive, he seems a very soft-spoken guy. He does. He has gotten some dust ups with some drivers in the paddock after, uh, which is good to see. You want to see that kind of fight because it means your guys actually care. Um, I think he's learning a lot from Alonzo, to be honest. I think that he's, he got, Alonzo was the first time with him last year, I believe, and he won his race and he will get to it. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think Ocon, especially at home, it's the first time he scored points at this race and he was in contact with Sonoda. So they spun out. He got a five second penalty for it. He was in the wrong there, but he still came back and secured double points for the Alpine team. So it's, it's for Ocon. That was massive, and I think we kind of expected that on his fifth-place finish last week. We expected him to have a good spot this week. Probably could have been up there a little bit higher, but uh, he, he can't be upset with his race on Sunday. It was, it was strong. It was very strong. And then as far as Gasly goes, listen, Gasly's had a rough month, and this wasn't the worst of that. They just got a new car, so they just got new upgrades. So they're just getting used to those upgrades. He's been waiting for these upgrades for a month. He's been very vocal about the car needing to be upgraded. So it would have been better for him to finish in the points. Yes, obviously. He finished 12th, I think he did. 
Um, started 14th. Uh, he didn't make it out of qualifying one. So he was 16th and yeah. he started 16th with the two grid placement um, penalties. He went up to 14th, finished 12th. It's not the worst case scenario for him. Sonoda didn't finish the race. So yep. he's another, uh, just another, uh, another better day for him over his teammate. It was still a disappointing weekend, but because he obviously at your home race, you want to get some points, but it wasn't like he was out there battling the car. He was actually yeah. racing and he's getting, he, I feel like it's a good first step to get back into what he does best. And that's finish six to 10th. So finish speaking uh, as we sort of wrap up here on, on the French side of it, uh, talking about battling the car, what has happened to Alfa Romeo? They had an unbelievable start yeah. to the season. And is it just that the other teams have upgraded beyond them or have they just completely made some kind of, I don't know, mistake in, in, in how they've been continuing to engineer their own car. Like they, I think for the last two weeks have been out of the points that Zhao doesn't finish uh, even within the same timing chart. He's six laps behind. He's the last finisher of the entire race. Valtteri Bottas finishing 14th. Neither of them qualified well. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's just frustrating because we saw early on these glimpses of what Bottas was able to do with this car. Uh, and obviously a couple of weeks ago, we had Zhao with his best finish ever. And then all of a sudden the floor just falls out. Yeah. You got to think that, I mean, the problematic one is Bottas because he's kind of disappeared over the last couple of races. Yeah. And, and that is more, if it was just, if it was just Zhao, it would make sense because he's a new driver, he's a rookie driver, but to have Botas also do that kind of makes me feel like it's got to be a car issue. No, like, because Botas is better. He's a great driver. He's better than what he's doing these last couple of races, or at least this last race. And it's, I've been trying to figure out what the heck's going on with Alfa Romeo too, and I can't do it, but it's, they're, they're starting to fall off. They are, they're, they might have a rough second half of the season. They might have the second half of the season that we thought they were going to have all season. Because my hot take at the beginning yeah. of the season was that Alfa Romeo's last place, and they won't be last place, but there's there's flaws. There's definite flaws showing. Yeah, no, for sure. Any yeah. last thoughts on France before we leave it alone? Yeah, I got two. I got two teams I want to talk about real quick, and there's just yeah. um, Haas was a disappointing weekend for them. Yeah, both of them finished out of the points, back. which sucks because they've been so hot lately, um, and they've been showing flashes. But it, Magnussen at the beginning went from 19th to 13th before the end of the first lap. It looked like it was going to be a strong finish by him, but by lap seven or eight, he was stuck behind both the Aston Martins and couldn't really go anywhere. Um, and then there was uh, Schumacher had a bunch of problems. I think he got hit by somebody, right? I think there was Schum somebody hit Schumacher. Car, yeah. yeah. He got caught up in those other incidents. Yeah. So it kind of sucked for him, but so as I said, like he got stuck behind the Aston Martins and that was the other team I wanted to talk about real quick, because this was something that was interesting on the very last lap was oh yeah Vettel was right behind Lance Stroll and it looked like he had all the pace in the world to pass him he didn't he chose not to he, I swear they were so close to just crashing because Vettel yeah, was no, it looked like he was pushing yeah so how much this is a question for you how much do you think Vettel pulled back for Stroll to get points knowing that after next week's race is when they start talking about next year's contracts I mean, it could be a factor for sure. It's a tricky one because it does His feel daddy like, owns the company. Oh, for sure. It does feel like there was definitely a, a, uh, an opportunity that Vettel usually would have taken and he chose not to, it definitely looked like that, but you're right. It yeah. also looked like they were almost crashing. Like it was like Lance yeah. Stroll was doing everything he possibly could to keep that car as wide as he could. And Vettel probably had him you know, on an extra quarter lap. He would have had him. 
Um, yeah, for sure. No, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, that, that gets down that same rabbit hole of like, what's there, but those are all factors. You're absolutely right. You know, speaking yeah. about like whose jobs are at risk. I mean, look, Ricardo had a fantastic race compared to the races he's been having. He was right there with Norris at the, you know, near the end of the race, O'Connor overtook him, but that's a huge improvement from what we've seen recently uh, for, for Ricardo. And if he can have another good race next week, that certainly makes him a little bit more comfortable going into, you know, into those conversations about what the next couple of years look like and, and, and contracts and all of that kind of stuff. But you're right. Vettel, uh, I don't know. I kind of would have liked to have seen what the reaction over there at uh, yeah. Aston Martin would have been had Vettel said, no, I'm the veteran here. I'm going to take this opportunity to, to take the one point off you. Uh, Cause that's all Lance Stroll captured with 10th place. But for Lance Stroll, that's a big point. Yeah. And hundred percent. And, and the other Canadian real quick, Latifi had a great first half. He was very good in the race. So that's two back to back, but then he got hit. And he kind of struggled after that. Yeah. Uh, and then also after the race, I don't know if a lot of people don't watch the after race stuff, but there was a great question to Verstappen saying, is this win, is this victory the same without your biggest competitor, Leclerc, out of the race? And I think for I forget what his answer was, but even in the car radio, all of, all of them, Horner, all of them were like, it, this would have been a great race with Leclerc in it. It would yeah, have been a great race. Fight. They wanted they, to fight. Yeah. And Verstappen wants to fight with oh, Leclerc. And that's awesome yeah, and, to see. And it's interesting because again, we got a little taste of the fact that, it, you know, I think Red Bull expected it to be easier to overtake here than mm -hmm. it turned out to be in those early laps when he was right there on that tail uh, Finn for a little while of, of, of Leclerc and he, and, 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 and give Charles credit. He fought hard. He kept his position, all of that. And I think that's what pushed Red Bull to do the undercut, but you're right. I think they were, they were hungry for a fight. Maybe they'll get it next week. I don't know. Um, but that's certainly, I think, I mean, look, Verstappen has a lot to prove. He wants to win outright, clean and, and with no sort of controversy or cloud of anything. He needs to prove that to everybody. He knows that whether they'll admit it or not. Red Bull knows that that's what this is all about. But he also doesn't, I think, to be honest with you, he's their, their competitors and they don't want it to just be given to them either because they yeah. think that that'll be too easy to be there's a there's this constant thing of they have to win it but they got to win it the right way and they want to win it you know fair and square but they also want to like have it be contested you know and look they're all drama queens they love the storylines like we all know who's the who's the one guy who's on every bloody broadcast over the radio it's christian horner who's the yeah. who are the main people even at the very beginning of the netflix series who were the predominant you know uh characters in the stories it was ricardo with red bull and then ricardo leaving it was all about christian horner and verstappen la 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 the, the, mm -hmm. they, they are very much attention seeking and they understand what that does for their brand and, and look for God's sake, it's a Formula One team named after an energy drink. Let's talk about what we're dealing with here. They know what they're doing. It's all about brand building. They want that. And I think you're right. I think Verstappen wants the storyline and the energy, like the, the, the narrative to be about the fight with him and whoever the rival is. Well, the rival just isn't at his level right now. You know, yeah, and no. I think you got to give Lewis Hamilton some credit. I think that Verstappen has been forged in some very difficult battles from last year into a much harder driver to compete with. He has learned a lot of hard lessons. He's driving a lot smarter and I, I would argue a less aggressively than he did last year, no less competitively, but sort of less recklessly. Maybe that's a better way, Le much yeah. less recklessly. And we're seeing the results. I mean, he's got a 61 point lead and I already declared him the winner on this podcast today. So what do you know? Yeah, I do. But I will say if you're going to make that hot take, I think Mercedes finishes second in the constructors by the end of this year. I will not argue with that. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's leave it there for a second, and then we'll set up the Hungarian Grand Prix. 
This episode of the Pit Stop Podcast is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. All right, so um, we get another race upcoming this weekend. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. This is sort of the beginning of, what did you call it, funny season? Silly season. I call it funny season, season but it, they, they call it silly season. Silly but season, right? We get the summer break, two S's. the yeah. summer hiatus, which is shorter than in past years because we're shoving 23 races into this uh, bloated season. Although, look, we're not complaining. We want racing. Lots of fun. We get three here. Uh, and then we got this break. So here's number three of the three. I promise this is Hungary at the Hungara. I can never say this one. Hungary <laughs> ring. <laughs> Hungary. Ring. There you go. Hungary ring. And it's interesting. Um, I, I, I'll just set up the, the circuit and then I want you to give me your opinions on it. Cause it's an interesting one. The way that formula one describes it on their website is it's basically the closest a formula one track gets to a cart track. Mm-hmm. It's lots of turns clustered together. Not a lot of, there's really only one straight away. It's a lot of, sort of cornering and and historically we see a lot of downforce packages right this is the similar package just to monaco similar sort of idea that you're not going to get a lot of top end speed it's going to favor teams that are able to corner well it's going to hurt teams that need speed to corner well mercedes um and it's going to be all about qualifying and getting a rhythm throughout those practices getting a feel for how the track is running and if it's good weather conditions all the more better but qualifying is really going to matter because it's not easy to overtake here um but all that being said this was one of our most dramatic and exciting races last year because there was carnage and it opened the door for some very unexpected results do you want to talk about that first yes so i rewatched the race today uh, and it was awesome. It's so what happened last year, I, a lot of people probably won't remember, but I'll, I'll tell you right now, it started with wet weather. So it was just over, like it just kind of rained. So I, all the guys were out there, intermediates or wets. And on the start of the race, the very first corner, Botas takes out, I believe it was Norris from behind. Norris goes off the track and then Botas goes right into Verstappen on the front of Verstappen and right into the back of Perez as well. He takes out both Red Bulls on the first lap, causes a red flag. Now Verstappen stayed in the race, but Perez's day was done. Red flag comes out. We wait an hour, hour and a half, whatever it was for them. I usually seems always seems like it's over an hour, but this is the best part. You thought that was crazy. Like the first, if you watch the first corner, it's insane to watch so many cars. It's like you said, carnage. That's not the most interesting part about what happened next because during this hour stoppage, the track dried up and cars went around They're in the pit lane. They're doing the formation lap. And I believe somebody says, I don't remember who it was. I think it was like a con. It was one of the middle of the pack drivers. You know what? It was George Russell, I believe. And they said uh, in a Williams car at this time, at this point, everyone's going to go to slick tires and Hamilton's the first he, he was in pole. He goes to the front of the line and is waiting. He's ready to go for the lights to drop. Every other driver goes into the pits 
switches to hard tires or medium tires, and it's going to start the race in the pit lane. So the it's a really awesome photo of just Lewis Hamilton starting the race by himself on intermediate tires. Did not go well for him. He was slow. He, they caught up to him so quickly. And then lap three or four, Esteban Ocon took over because he was one of the first guys out of the pits at that time and held on to the race specifically because, not specifically, let's give him some credit. He had a great race, but this was Alonzo's famed race of last year where he held Vettel for three, three to five laps so that he couldn't pass Ocon. And then he held Hamilton for what damn near seemed like 45 laps. Hamilton was not going to get past um, uh, as, uh, Alonso, Fernando Alonso. Yeah, no. sorry. Uh, but like he eventually did pass him, but it was the reason that yep. Hamilton didn't, wasn't able to get back up into first and beat Ocon. And this podium, Ocon, Vettel, Hamilton, it was so exciting. Vettel, I thought he was going to pass Ocon. I was cheering for Ocon so bad, but Ocon held him off. So he did his, he also did his part to win. And it was, but that was, that was the moment where you were like, okay, Alonso is the best defensive driver in Formula One. So what you're saying is pray for rain. Yes. Pray for rain in qualifying because I think that's going to set us up for the best uh, because there, you're right. This is not a track that has it's one DRS zone. It's one straight and it's not a long straight. No, so it does favor that takes away a little bit of Red Bull's dominance, right? Well, the only thing that is the wild card is that again, this is the kind of track that has the potential to demonstrate what these new cars could do. Yeah. Good point. Following closer, right? Yeah. This is not Monaco where you're in a procession because it's tight and, and there is space on this track. It's just about taking advantage of being able to keep that gap close. If you can get through some of those corners uh, leading into that DRS zone, right on the, the t- tail of the guy in front of you, maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe there's a, a space for someone to break a little late because they're a lot better positioned than they you know used to be going into one of those corners. I'm not saying that it's uh, going to be an overtake fest like we had last mm-hmm. year in Brazil, where literally everyone who, you know, nobody finished in the position they started in. But I would optimistically say, let's hope that that's a factor because it's yeah. possible this is one of those tracks that could benefit from the new regulations for sure. And it seems like every year there is a race where the podium is two out of the three people you would never expect. So, True. like Ricardo True. last year at Monza, Gasly the year before at Monza. So this is kind of this, this, or maybe Monza, which is coming up after a silly season yeah. uh, that like, so this could be an exciting one to watch just because you might tune in, even if you're, I don't want to watch the Hungarians too early. You tune in halfway. You could see, dare I say, Lance Stroll in first place. Jeez. Wow. That's a bold <laughs> that's take. A, that's just the, I was the one, the last person the line I think Dodgeball? could ever be there. That's a bold take cotton. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, buddy. Uh, but Hey, <laughs> You never know. Uh, practice goes, uh, practice one and two go the 29th. Obviously, uh, practice three is on the 30th. That's qualifying as well. 7 a.m. Uh, if you're on the West Coast, 8 a.m. if you're in the mountain time zone uh, or whatever other time zone you might be listening to us from, check your local listings. If you're in Canada, it's on TSN. Uh, look, qualifying is going to be the 30th. The 31st is the race, as I said. It will be exciting no matter what happens. We've got a whole bunch of different storylines. I think it was you who once said, Tyler, that like to truly appreciate Formula One, you cannot just look at who's finishing on the podium. You have mm. to be able to look down the table and see all of the little internal fights and battles that are going on. Even if it's two guys in their own team and the last lap is Aston Martin almost gave us some drama there. There's mm. always stuff 
to enjoy about it that's going to happen next weekend. Thank you, Tyler, for joining me. We'll be back this time next week to wrap up the Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. That's uh, Pit Stop for now. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations and we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live create and share stories on these territories the ordinary podcasting network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination but a journey and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space